Hello and welcome to Country Stride, the podcast dedicated to the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria and the Lake District. I'm here today between the storms in the village of Pooley Bridge at the outflow of Oldswater in the company of author, illustrator and our guide for today's wonder, Mark Richards. Hello, Mark. Oh, it's me again. Yes, I, I love it, Pooley Bridge. It's the anticipation of the place because here we are at the outflow of the great Ullswater with all the fells around it. I love this setting. And the river in sprightly form today there looks as if maybe lower down it might have breached the banks. But, yeah, we had this storm came in last night, I think, Mark, didn't we? And then lots of excitement about Saturday, the next one coming in. So uh... This is a storming place. Well, we're here today for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, we're celebrating the soon-to-be-released Oldswater Walking Companion. Boo-boo! This is Country Stride's <laughs> second dedicated walking guidebook. Really excited about that. 20 fabulous walks, including two that start from this village, Pooley Bridge. But secondly, this is the anniversary, I think it was last week, the 60th anniversary mark of a really important campaign yes that conserved a really important part of this valley indeed this is it lake district people uh, love the lakes and this is one of those most adored of lakes and was potentially prey to reservoir status but for the actions particularly of the community and one person's voice really turned the tide it's a fascinating tale, and of course, not every valley was so lucky. Thirlmere, near where I live, lost its battle. Uh, Horswater was drowned, but Oldswater was not, and that campaign was critical, and the story behind it is really energising, I think, for those of us who care about conservation. And we've got a brilliant guest today, Mark, who actually has a personal connection. Who are we meeting today? Well, we're meeting the local resident and chairman of the parish council, Miles McInnes, who's got a long family connection with this story. So we're going to have a short wander, aren't we, Mark? We're going to look at some of the uh, landmarks and features associated with this uh, battle that took place all those decades ago. We're also going to learn a little bit more, I hope, about this village, which not probably top of many tourist bucket lists, I don't think, but has a really interesting tale of its own with some famous past residents as well. So I'm really looking forward to this. And you know what? It's actually sunny at the moment. So I think on that optimistic note, let's um, go and meet Miles. I'm by the outflow of the lake, the River Emont, with the sun beaming on Granny Dowbikins over the water. I'm in the National Park car park. There are actually two National Park car parks in the village, but this is the one under Dunmallard Hill, or Dunmallock. Lovely little wooded hill. And I'm in the company of Miles McInnes. Now, Miles, could you tell me a little bit about your connection with this place? Yes, I've actually lived here all my life. Um, I haven't moved far. Uh, I'm well hefted to the area. Uh, I was brought up uh, for my teenage years in Watermillock. When I was married, we then moved to Dacre, and we now live, uh, very lucky to live in a lovely house just outside the village here, up on the hill with wonderful views over the lake. I'm old enough to remember uh, the campaign to save Oswater in the early 1960s, which is what you want to talk about today. Absolutely. And was your dad involved with it? Yes. My father was involved, and as were many local residents, because it was a real David and Glass story when the might of Manchester Corporation 
rather arrogantly in bully boy tactics said, we're just going to come and take water, we're going to build a weir, take water, and you, you can lump it. So the Earthwater Preservation Society was formed, and my father was a key member of that, an active member, and it was really just all the local local people and landowners who got up and said, this isn't good enough, we, we must do something about it. And sure enough, they did. Within a few weeks, they got 500,000 signatures on a, on a petition, when you think it was amazing. amazing, when you think there was no social media, no emails, and I can remember as a, a young teenager stuffing envelopes with the, the forms. Last week, with 60 years elapsed, you had a little bit of a ceremony. Yes, we did. I suddenly remembered that it was 60 years ago on the 8th of February that um, Lord Burkett, Norman Burkett QC, who came, came from Alverston, a local person, made a classic speech in the House of Lords, reputedly one of the finest modern parliamentary speeches and uh, throughout scuppered Manchester's plans to build this weir. Well I think it'd be rather grand because we're out of sight of the actual lake from here if we follow the trail that so many people do follow along the footway to the pier and we'll uh, comprehend what I think is one of the most wonderful views of any Lakeland Lake uh, from the vicinity of the pier because there is an important plaque. That's miles, that's sun, it's so brilliant. I'm looking up the lake towards Helvellyn, which I can just about see. This brilliant sun is bouncing off the lake and I can see through to Martindale and uh, Bonscale Pike and Arthur's Pike over to our half left and then to the right you can see towards uh, Helvellyn Lower Man and uh, Place Fell Plum in the middle. It's a magic view, isn't it? Well, it is. It's splendid and we're very lucky to be here today because yesterday was a most dreadful day. It never stopped raining all day. <laughs> And then we're threatening with another storm tomorrow. So we've got a calm between two storms. I Absolutely. Think that's <laughs> well, it's, it's a magical place. It's not only this, but just up above us, uh, this is wonderful wooded hill. It's the uh, vent of a volcano, isn't it? That's, well, yes, I gather so. You've got a similar thing at the bottom of uh, Thirlmere and uh, Derwentwater has, well, like Castle Heads. Uh, uh, that's right. that's yeah. a volcano. Yeah. Castle Rock of Tremaine is an example mm -hmm. of it mm -hmm. again. But here you've got this rounded mm -hmm. hill, which... Yeah is eye-catching, mm -hmm. but uh, it sets off the setting. And, of course, there's an encampment on the top, isn't yes, there? that's right. Is it Iron Age or, or Roman? or well, Nobody quite knows, I think. Well, I think it's native, so it won't be Roman specifically, but it'll be some kind of defended place. And it's got this cryptic title, yeah. which we now call Dun Mallard. Yes, I mean, I've always known it as Dun Mallet. Yes. Mallet, and yes. we've always called it that. But it belongs to the Dalmain estate, nice. and they call it Dun Mallard. Yes. But I prefer it to be called Dunmallet. Yeah, well, quite. <laughs> it means the hill of the conflict, I gather. So it would probably be a place where people retreated to at times of threat. Yes. And there's a very popular path right round it, uh, which is much used. It's also on the um, Oswater Way, which we might talk about, because that's been a huge success. There footpath around the lake. I'm told 60,000 people walk it every year. Absolutely. It's quite understandable. It's rather like the petition that was uh, waged uh, right at the uh, beginning of that campaign. There's a tremendous passion for this valley. Well, I, I'm, I'm biased because I've lived here all my life, but I think it's the beautiful, most beautiful of all the lakes because you get the contrast. Wide open spaces here. You then get the crags in the middle reach and then you've got the enclosed um, end of the lake at Patterson and then Reading. So you, you get the contrast, which is lovely. It's a regal lake. Now, talking about regal things, we have this slate, uh, an oval slate plaque. And can you describe what it says, yeah. Miles? Well, it was carved by Pip Hall, who's a very well-known engraver, letter, letter carver. She also did some poetry stones uh, on um, the other side of the lake in, 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 in um, Halling Crag Wood. That's right. So... She found this lovely piece of slate, but it's got little ripples in it, so it almost looks like water. And so it reads, Old Water, the lake was saved, House of Lords, 8th February 1962. Remember, Norman Lord Burkett, PC, QC, and the Oldswater Preservation Society. And then, for the Latin scholars, I'll try and read it out. It says, Si monumentum requiris, 
circumspice. And that is the epitaph for Christopher Wren in St Paul's. And it effectively means if you require his monument or his memory, look around you. And so uh, Richard Inglewood, Lord Inglewood, whose father was very much involved with the campaign, he suggested we put that up. And as we look around us here, we couldn't have a more fitting epitaph, remember Lord Burkitt, and look around at the landscape he saved. Now, there are various references to Lord Norman Burkitt in this area. One I know because I love fell walking is Burkitt Fell, which is part of Hartside. There's a cairn up there, isn't there? There is, yes, it's above Dockray. And it was Indominate Fell, had no name. And uh, when the battle was won, and when they all the dust settled, the boys from the Outer Bound School carried stone up from the lake and they built a little plaque there and it just beautifully carved with a stone saying Burkitt Fell, which is lovely. It is that. And then also on the lakeside at um, Kalepot Crag between Howtown and Sanic, there is a plaque facing the lake, which is quite nice because... The walkers can't see it and you have to look for it. And the other day when we had our little celebration, we met here, said a few words, and then the steamers very kindly gave us a cruise. It was a pretty sort of typical, misty, rather dreek Lake District day. So we steamed up to the kale pot and uh, raised our glasses to Lord Burkitt. And then they brought us back again. So we had a lovely little, um, little trip. And then, of course, the other memorial is the Burkitt Trophy, which is a, a must-do regatta. It's in the beginning of July, I think. They get over 200 boats. If you're a serious yachty, it's the one thing you, you try to do. So they sail across the whole lake up and down. So that'll be a, another event to celebrate. Can you give us a bit of a picture of, of the man himself, Norman Burkett? He was born in Alverston, so he was, uh, well, he was Lancastrian, but Alverston yeah. is effectively part of, now part of Cumbria and the lakes. His father was a draper. And uh, I think Norman Burkett left school at 16 and went to start to work for his father's shop. He then went to university and, and, and did law. And he was a MP, a Liberal MP briefly, um, a Methodist preacher. And then, of course, became a barrister. And he was well known for his defence of uh, people. Um, there's an interesting story that um, there was a man called Tony Mantini who'd... Um, was accused of killing a prostitute and it was called the Brighton Trunk Murders because this poor unfortunate woman's torso was found in a trunk in, in Brighton Station and her limbs were found in a trunk in, in King's Cross but her head was never found. Anyway, he got, he got him off. Uh, of course, needless to say, he confessed on his deathbed that he was guilty of the crime. And one of Lord Burkitt's um, contemporaries said, if I was ever accused of cutting up a lady, I would undoubtedly employ Norman Burkett because he would A, prove I wasn't there, B, prove if I was there I didn't do it, and C, uh, if I did do it, well, she thoroughly deserved it anyway. So he's well known for his skillful advocacy. Um, he then took silk, became a QC. He was one of the um, judges at the Nuremberg trials, the war crime trials, and then um, eventually was um, elevated House of Lords and that's when he made, apart from anything else, he made this wonderful speech. Can you give us a little bit of a context of the time, uh, Miles, about Manchester Corporation's uh, voracious desire for water extraction from Eastern Lake District? Well, I th yes, I think they regarded the lakes as their source of water because, obviously, Thirlmere was built in the late 1800s, I think. That is what Lord Burkett called a dead lake because there's no access to it. Uh, you can't go on it to boat or anything. Then, I think in the 1930s, they built Horswater, flooded the valley, destroyed the uh, village of Mardale, and again, uh, got away with it, if you like. Uh, and then, come to the early 60s, they decided they were short of water again, or they would be short of water. So, in a rather arrogant manner, they decided Oswater was the next on the list, and they went about it in a totally wrong way, because it was in um, late 1961, they issued a press release saying they intended to take water out of Wells Water. They hadn't told the community. They had very minimal consultation with anybody, you know, the National Park or the local councils, and they just said, we're going to take this water, we're going to build a weir, here where we're standing now, um, which would raise the lake by three feet, which, which maybe doesn't sound a lot, but it would have spoilt a lot of roads, boathouses, and you'd have had this tide mark as well as the lake fluctuated. So 
The other point was they didn't prove that they needed the water. In the closing remarks of his speech, Lord Burkitt says, thus far and no further, go away. <laughs> uh, come again if you must, but come properly equipped with the information you should have had with the hydrological data that you need to prove your case. And I think that's one of the reasons why it got thrown out, because they hadn't proven it. Well, as I look back, and now with the light as it is, you can see the snow on the cornest edge of Helvellyn. I can reflect on the arrogance of the corporation. Well, we'll follow the story a little bit further, uh, and we can look into the absolutely gorgeous village of Pooley Bridge. so special, Mars. We've come to the side of the Emont and the new bridge and there's a 15 or so mallard ducks here, male and female. But anyway, what we've got here is a wonderfully gracious bridge over what feels like the extension of Ullswater, but it is the River Emont. And this bridge has got a heritage, but it's a recent one. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, yes, certainly. Um, the old stone bridge uh, was 251 years old. Previous year we celebrated its 250th anniversary. It was a lovely stone three-arch bridge, and all we've got now are the tea towels <laughs> which are left, and the traumatic storm um, in 2015. When storm the Desmond. Storm Desmond. Terrible floods. We came down to look at them in the morning. We actually walked over the bridge, making jokes about whether it was safe. And yeah. lo and behold, by the evening it had gone, and the middle section went first. And then overnight, the rest of it went as well. Crikey. And it was very traumatic. It was, it was almost like losing a relative. It would have been. And, of course, practically, the village was cut in half. And to get to this side, you had a 15-mile detour around uh, via Penrith. Eventually, a temporary bridge was put in. But that took several months. And then, eventually, uh, five years on, we've got this magnificent steel bridge. It's the only stainless steel road bridge in the country. I think that's why it took so long to build, because they were learning as they went along. And they took over the car park behind us for the, for the assembly, and these wonderful bits of steel came from manufacturers in, in Lancashire. And then on the momentous day, the second biggest mobile crane in the country, it took them a week to put it together, a massive great crane, lifted the whole thing into place. In one piece? In one piece. And they dropped it down as though it was on a sixpence. It was quite extraordinary. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. A good friend of mine actually came and witnessed it. Did you witness oh, it? We were there, yes. They didn't, they didn't want people to come, so they... Uh, we pulled rank being the parish council. We said, well, we must watch this. And so we sat in the pub over there in the, on the garden and watched it. And, uh, You're on the, in the ground. Uh, and then um, they, they suddenly stopped. And we thought, what's happened? Because the wind had got up and, they, and all this high-tech stuff. They still had people on ropes holding it steady. And they finally dropped it in. And then, of course, it took a few more months to get, get, get it open. But it's it's been tremendous success. It's a landmark in its own right now. It's winning lots of awards, technical design awards, but it's also in for what they call a Civic Trust Award. And I think it's been shortlisted for that, so we're hoping it might win that. And then uh, when it was open because of COVID, we weren't allowed to have a proper ceremony. So we had a little ceremony early one morning and the first crossing of the bridge was a flock of sheep, which was rather nice. William Coulson, the local farmer, and his son drove the sheep over the bridge which was a very fitting way to mark its opening. Reflecting back to the story of the threat of Manchester Corporation, there was this uh, press release and there was a tremendous backlash. Well, I think it suddenly took off and took the public imagination. I mean, the Friends of the Lake District existed, but I don't think they were as active as they are now, and they certainly didn't have the influence that they have now. And so it was really down to the local people... Uh, my father and friends of his and um, Major Hazel from Dale, Maine, who was a wonderful character. He was the last proper squire um, and he got very much involved. So did Stafford Howard of Grigsville Castle. Very quickly they got this petition organised and as I said, 500,000 signatures in a few weeks, which is quite staggering. And then it hit the press, of course, the national press, and went worldwide. I think a lot of the signatures came from overseas. The groundswell of opinion 
grew. Uh, Manchester did then consult and have meetings and things, but it was quite clear they weren't going to back off. And um, there was support from uh, Willie Vane. Uh, William Vane was MP for Westmoreland, uh, later the first Lord Inglewood. Uh, Willie Whitelaw, of course, was MP for Penrith and the Border. Lord Lonsdale. Uh, Ted Short, remember him? I do. Yes, uh, he was a Cumbrian, born in Walkup. And Lord Glenomara of Glenridding, and he was, he was active. Bishop Bloomer of Carlisle, uh, he, he spoke in the Lords. Uh, Cubby Ackland, who was a um, National Trust agent for years, he, he looked on the National Trust estate as his own fiefdom, I think. <laughs> uh, he wrote a lovely article in the Country Life. And so uh, the swell of opinion against it grew, and then eventually Manchester promoted a bill for waterworks generally, which included Oswater. And for some reason, it went to the Lords rather than the Commons. I'm never quite sure why that was. Uh, and that's when they had this debate. And uh, it was a Conservative government. Lord Hailsham was the leader of the Lords. And he actually supported the bill. He, he didn't want it um, thrown out. But Lord Burkitt and Lord Lonsdale, of course, local landowner, promoted a, a motion to delete from this water bill any clauses relating to Oswater. And in fact, it was a very decisive victory. It was something like uh, 70 votes to, to 30 or something. So very decisive vote, given that the government supported the bill and didn't want this um, amendment passed. And of course, it was Lord Burkitt's finest hour, if you like. You've got these lakes... Thulmere, which is a Victorian victory for Manchester. Mardale with Horswater didn't get defended strongly, although there was a village at Mardale Head, but Oldswater, people of influence, felt a tremendous attachment to this lake. So that created a great body of commitment towards it. Yes, I think that's right. You could say it was the start of the conservation movement because I think before that, water came first in a way. Maybe horse water, you know, before the Second World War, maybe water was important. And the poor people of Marlinal were dispossessed. You wouldn't think of that now. And, of course, Manchester had their eyes on, on other places. They wanted water out of Windermere, Extraordinary! They were going to flood the Winster Valley, you know, the Lyth Valley, which is unbelievable, you can't unthinkable. That. Yes, that's no, right. there'll be no damsons. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, and then even when the when the case was lost, the motion won, and the clauses relating to Oswald were thrown out. Um, Manchester, a wonderful quote, well named Councillor Onions of Manchester, <laughs> and he said, "Those folk down at Oswater can stop gloating." because we need that water and we mean to get it. And that was just two days after the debate. Wow, the lighting is gorgeous at the moment. And the antics of these ducks yeah. dancing into the water. Yeah, and we've got swans across there as well. Remember my mother saying the swans never live in the lake because of the lead pollution. But now there are quite a lot of healthy swans up at Patterdale. Oh, there are. There's the swan the, man, isn't there? The, the swan them. man at, yes. in, in Glencoyne. That's right, yes. yes. Right, well, we'll cross this magical bridge and uh, comprehend Pooley Bridge, the place dear to your heart, Miles. It is indeed. I'm standing in uh, the midst of the humbly set community of Pooley Bridge. There are a surround of the Pooley Bridge Inn, the Crown Inn, Granny Dowbikins, and I'm standing beside a very handsome sandstone obelisk. Uh, it has the crest of the Hassel McCloche family. And on the very top is uh, a skelly fish uh, with a weather vane. Um, and the rooks are flying over at the moment. So the skelly fish, can you tell me something about this, uh, Miles? Yeah, I think they're unique to, to Oldswater and possibly one other lake in the lakes. And um, I can remember as a boy, the fisheries research people came and used our garden as a base, and they went to trapping these fish to research their background. So I think whether they still exist or not, I don't know. But the other thing that Puri Bridge was perhaps better known for was eels. And they had a huge eel fishery here. You know, people came from miles around to, to buy the eels, and they'd have been caught here, trapped in nets and taken to Penrith, and certainly the eel fishery was probably what it was better known for. And they had elvers, didn't they? That's the baby yes, ones. Yes, exactly. I remember those when I was a young boy, but that was down in, in the River Severn. They used oh, right. to have uh, yeah, yeah. capture the elvers. <laughs> Funny things. So this was a bit of a fish market here. It was, yes, that's right. Yeah. And uh, now, of course, we've, we've got the age of the car, and um, one of our big problems is, is car parking. 
And um, we're standing here in the middle of the square where the free all-day parking. So, of course, come down at 8 o'clock in the morning, these are all taken. <laughs> so we're about to do a community plan, and I think parking will be number one on the agenda. And there's quite a lot of thought to say, well, we might pedestrianise all or part of the middle of the village. I think that would be very, would be very sound. Because nice. yeah. I think when people walk into this settlement, they're terrorised enough by the road. Mm. It deserves to be a place of calm. I think it would be a great improvement. You could have um, seats and planters, because I'd love to see the cars out of here, or, or at least oh, out a part of it. I can appreciate that. You have, uh, as you mentioned right at the beginning, Miles, a strong connection with uh, the, the lake setting as a, as a young lad. Where were you brought up? Well, I was brought up in Watermillock, um, a house called Bowthorn, which is um, on the lake front shore. had a little paddock with it and quite a big garden and a boathouse. And so it's an idyllic place to be brought up. Yes. There's no traffic, we ride our bicycles down the lakeside road, but we just never allowed our family to do that. It's just no. too dangerous now. My father was a teacher, and he had a small school, um, cramming people to get into common entrance, to get into public schools. Uh, and they were written off as being thick. But in fact, probably most of them were dyslexic. But of course, it wasn't um, recognised in those days. I know there was a, there's a grammar school up by the church, wasn't there? There was a school up there a long, long, long time ago. Just called yeah. grammar school. Yeah, right? It is. Yeah, that's mm. right. So it was an idyllic place to be brought up. We you know, the lake at our fingertips, and then my sister was very keen on horses and ponies, so I was dragged along to that. So we used to ride our ponies up on the fell. and uh, then my parents uh, retired and bought a house from my uncle which is just up here above the village. And um, it's actually the house where I was born in. So I sleep in the room I was born in. Wow, <laughs> can you imagine that, people? I would say, few <laughs> listeners could be able to say that. Well, I'm quite, quite proud of that fact. Yeah. And I hope I might die in the room I was born in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but we have a wonderful view just above the village. So we look over the village, don't see it. And we look straight onto the fells. And every morning, first thing you do is look up and see. And it's different every day and it changes every hour. Absolutely. So we're, we're very, very blessed to be able to live there. The draft coming off there, isn't there? There's winter in the air. Well, we've come on from the uh, street along a lane, which is the popular way of people to the lake shore. And you get beside a tall green building, which I imagine stored a boat at some time. And there's a pair of stone walls jetting into the lake. Presumably, this was a point where boats gained access to the lake. Yeah, I think that's right. Yes, there probably would have been a slipway. So it, was, it wasn't like a wet dock boathouse. It was more like a mooring point. Right. And the boats were probably kept in the boathouse behind us. Which house does this belong to? Well, it belongs to Usemere, which is uh, behind us here. It's on an elevated position just outside the village uh, and has a lovely view up the lake. And it's best known for um, Thomas Clarkson, yes. who lived there for about 10 years in the late 1700s. 1787, I think, and he was a very prominent campaigner against the slave trade. He was number two to William Wilberforce, and I think he wore himself out going up and down the country campaigning. He was a good friend of Wordsworth's, and Wordsworth talks about him and Dorothy walking to, to Usemere to stay with the Clarksons. And so as part of the Ullswater Way, we've put up a little plaque here, and uh, they produced a medallion, rather like a fridge magnet these yeah. days. It's an African slave in chains with his head bowed, and the inscription says, Am I not a man and a brother? Which is a wonderful way of expressing... We're all it. one yes. on this planet. Exactly, yes. Absolutely. It's, it's a fascinating spot, this, because uh, chilly though it is today, there's a, quite a throng of young people here, because it's half term. They're even eating ice cream. It's part of the Ullswater Way through here. Um, but we're actually looking out across the lake and you've got memories of Donald Campbell. Yes, indeed. Um, this was the first lake when he broke the world water speed record with Bluebird. I was probably eight or nine or seven or eight, so it had been the late 50s probably, mm -hmm. and we were living uh, on the shore of the lake and, and Donald Campbell came to see my parents because they wanted somewhere to moor up and refuel when he was doing his run. And I remember... We used to go down night after night to wait for him to come, and nice still nights, and of course, the night he broke the record, we weren't there. Uh, but I remember going up to the boathouse. They built a boathouse up at the steamer pier at Glen Ridding. Oh, yes. And I remember going up there and seeing him 
and the beautiful bluebird and for some reason he went from here to Coniston which of course is where he lost his life and, right. and then he, he broke the record on Coniston possibly it was more accessible possibly calmer weather because the lake here is very treacherous mm. the wind changes very quickly and if you're a sailor it's quite a tricky lake to sail on it's it snakes it has three, three reaches, reaches yes right. and it was the middle reach where he got up to speed because wow. that's a nice straight bit because the upper bit has little islands as it does, well yes you have to be careful about yes that. You have to be a skillful yachtsman because the, the wind changes very quickly. And, of course, here you get a different wind than you do around the corner where the crags come straight down into the lake. So it is a, it's a tricky lake to sail on. You've got to be good at tacking. Definitely. I think with the uh, ducks and the throng and the young people, uh, it's such a convivial place. I think we'll go and find a bit of isolation, a little bit further along, not miles. Gosh, Miles, there's a keen breeze coming across the lake here. I'm looking into the eye of the storm and uh, you can see the snow on Helvellyn in the distance. But um, I'd like to pick back the story to where we really began this whole narrative about Lord Burkitt's amazing speech. And um, we're on the shore now, as I say, uh, at a key spot. Can you take us back to that remarkable speech in terms of there actually was a, a very unfortunate and sad outcome. Yes, it's a tragedy really because uh, two days after the great speech he was unwell. And he, I think he was living in Sussex or somewhere and there's quite a moving description of what happened in his uh, biography. Um, how He felt unwell, uh, his wife found him collapsed on the floor, they rushed him into a London hospital and he died of um, an aneurysm or a massive heart attack probably. I mean, I dare say in modern medicine he would have survived. So he didn't live to really enjoy the fruits of his success, although even by the time he died there were lots of letters coming in and the press was full of praise for him. So it was his last great achievement and that's what he's probably chiefly remembered for. Strictly the story doesn't end there. What was the next stage? Well, well I may have mentioned earlier, the Manchester Corporation within a few days said uh, they can stop gloating down at Oswater because we need that water and we mean to have it. So that was their attitude. Uh, first thing what happened was the government set up a report by Lord Jellicoe because Manchester hadn't really proved the need for the water. So the Jellicoe committee was set up to investigate and research water demands in the northwest in general, and Manchester in particular. And that came up with recommendations, one of which was that Oswater was suitable for extraction of water, but only under very strictly controlled conditions. In other words, there was to be no weir at Bully Bridge and water could only be taken when the lake was at a certain level. And again, the Ellswater Preservation Society, perhaps a bit surprisingly, opposed it. And so um, it went to a public inquiry in Kendal, which went on for uh, 19 days and took evidence and um, a lot of members of the Preservation Society attended. And my slightly eccentric maiden aunt, Jean McInnes, used to come down. She, she was a county councillor, she was an alderman and a member of the National Park Authority, and she used to come down and measure the lake and produce very complicated, unintelligible graphs, which she, which she would brandish at the inspector and probably confused him totally. But there is a lot of mention in the documents about so many feet above ordnance datum, you know, and 475.2 feet, and you can't extract when it's above that level. So technically, I don't know how it's done, but we're standing here on the extraction point. This apron of concrete, which is about, oh, about 40 or 50 feet long, and you're looking across towards Salmon's Plantation on the other bank, uh, but the choppy waters are lapping right up against it. So where is the water going from here when they're extracting it? The water is extracted here, and it is a fail-safe method whereby they physically can't take water when the lake's at a certain low level. And recently, we've had a dry spell. They wouldn't have been allowed to take it because the lake is too low. They can't suck it. No. It can only flow out. That's right. So here we are at the catchment point. They then have large underground pipes uh, through to uh, the Park Foot campsite, Caravan Park, which is behind us on the Howtown Road. And I think most people who camp there won't realise that underneath them is this huge great cavern uh, containing vast great turbines. So the water's pumped to the turbines and then the turbines pump 
through a tunnel, driven through the fowl to Horswater. And I can remember when they were doing the tunnel, and you'd go up and you could hear them working away in the middle of the, the hill, if you like, in the middle of the fell. Wonderful engineering. And, of course, the main thing is just people don't know it's there. No. Again, it was in the late 60s, so it was quite a big engineering feat in those days. So they got what they wanted, yep. and the folk of Oswater got, got their protection. So I think, yes. in the end, everyone was reasonably happy. It's a win-win, and, and there's a keen win today. <laughs> I love getting to a viewpoint, and uh, Miles, and, and uh, just sort of sharing with the listeners uh, my geographical love of this landscape, which is shared by so many. I'm going to do an anti-clockwise outlook from Dunmulloch Hill here, right. Sulby Fell, right. and Maiden Castle's just hiding behind Salmon's Plantation. And you can see a little bit of Little Mel Fell. Yes, that's right. And Pre- uh, Priest Crag. That's it. And then you can see Rays and Helvellyn Lower Man and Helvellyn with all the snow on it. Yes. Just a hint of Cats to Cam. Yeah. And uh, Striding Edge. And, yes. and, um, and then we've got Gobra Fell. Yeah, Gobarrow. Yeah, which lands over to, to Aero Force. Yes, indeed. A little bit of uh, Sheffield Pike, Nethermost Pike. Uh-huh. And Bleebury Knot, yes, and I, the Knight, yes, um, place fell. Right. Uh huh. In front of that is Hallin Fell. That's right. And then further on round, ooh, now that one's got me. Well, we got the Martindale Valley. Cordale Moor. Could be. Yes. Yeah, it's Cordale Moor. <clears throat> and then you've got Steel Knots, mm-hmm. and rising up behind that Fusedale. Yes. And then nearer. We've got uh, Bonscale Pike and Arthur's Pike. Arthur's Pike, that's right, yeah. Arthur's <laughs> Pike, yeah. <laughs> An Autostone Crag. Well, I'm amazed by your knowledge. You, <laughs> know, you know more of the names of these fells than I do, and I've been, <laughs> I've been looking at them all my life. Autostone refers yeah. to Alterstone. And, and Arthur's Pike probably is another corruption on Alterstone. Oh, right. There you that are. But sense. we sweep round onto Mordivok. Yes. And there you've got that... Wonderful array of features, including, of course, the stone circle, the cockpit, yes. which relates to the gaming, illegal gaming that went on. As a lad, you didn't do that, did you? No, we didn't do that. Um, but, I mean, obviously, the cockpit stones go back along the oh, prehistoric, yes. aren't they? But they? Yeah, I do remember talking about riding our ponies. Um, I think once or twice we used to go up there on midsummer's morning yes. to see the sunrise on the ponies and hopefully the sun would hit the right place on the stones. I'm, I'm not sure it ever did, but uh, it was always a rather romantic thing to do. Quite. And then, of course, there are various graves, aren't there, up there? And, oh, and, there and are. lots of um, artefacts. Yes. Cairns and cysts and cairns features. And then you've got uh, Hugh Sky Hill, yes. which is a great moorland upland there. Uh, it's limestone, isn't it? It is, there? that's right. And there's an old uh, kiln up there, too, where they burnt the lime. Yes, yeah. and they crop um, bracken there now, I notice. They do, they cut bracken. The people in, in Bampton who make harvest gold and bracken compost, Dale's foot, ah. and they cut they cut the bracken off here. Yeah. I've seen it yeah. done, yes. That's right. Yes, indeed. And then it's Winder Hall beyond that yes. out of sight. That's right, and going over to Lowther and Ascombe. It's a lovely walk. You go up onto the onto Mordivok and head down into Ascombe, have a lunch in the pub and walk home again. That's, so a, that's a grand it. walk. It's, <laughs> it's, it's one of the loops on the other way. way. So we've got a Dalemen loop and we've got the Lowther Castle loop. And yeah. then the fullest of time, hopefully later this year, we will. it's not going to be a loop, but it's going to be the Emont Way, uh-huh. which will join up all the footpaths between here and Penrith. So they, uh, hopefully people will come on the trains or the buses and walk, joining up all these paths. We're going to call it the Emont Way, and the little logo is going to be, the E is going to be an eel. Uh, ah. I talked about eels earlier on. Yes, they'll go by uh, Maybra. Yes. And Yanwath. Um, That's right. And that lovely Peel Tower yeah, there. Hall, and then Sockbridge, and then Barton Church, which of course is a beautiful old church. Which is a lovely church. And then across yeah. the moor. Bridge, so that's going to be a, a good addition to the Oswald Away. Well, I think we'll turn our back on this breeze and uh, have a further chat a little bit closer to Pooley Bridge. It's a great spot, though, Miles. Well, I love it here. I'm, I'm biased because I, I haven't known anything else, but um, I, as I said before, I'm well and truly hefted here <laughs> yes. and uh, don't intend to go anywhere soon. We're, we're going along the shore, and you sure love it for a good uh, reason. Oh, right. <laughs> Well,
The light is beginning to fade. The keen breeze is uh, picking up still ever more. And I can see uh, the lights of a car on the other side of the lake. So I know the day's moving on. A month ago, this would have been pitch dark now. I'll take this wonderful opportunity, Miles, to do something we haven't done for a little while. Uh, quick fire questions. See how keen your memory is. What was your first Lakeland memory? I should think, um, being on the shores of the lake and looking at the steamer going up and down. And I do remember this. My mother held me when I had my bath. And I'd say, I'd say, night-night, team-team. <laughs> so I suppose that's as young as I can get to remember that. <laughs> well, that's a, glad to remember that one. <laughs> that was very good memory, that was. Um, you've lived here all your life. Uh, have you got a favourite fell? Well, I think it would be Hallin, because it was the first fell I went up. My father used to row us across the lake in his rowing boat and we'd climb Hallin from the lake shore and I, then I used to call it my mountain because it was the first one I'd been up and I've been very pleased to take my grandchildren up there now as well so I think it's, it's the shortest walk for the best view I think. That's that uh, lovely beacon on the top. Yes. Do you happen to know why there is a beacon there? Yes, it's on the Domain Estate and it was built for Lord Broom who was a well-known member of the aristocracy and then it fell into disrepair. And when we were talking about commemorating Lord Burkitt, we thought about putting a plaque up there. And for some reason or other, it didn't happen. But they have rebuilt it, and it's now back to its um, former glory. Yeah, it's a really lovely obelisk. It is. Uh, Herdwick or Red Squirrel? Ah, that's tricky. I think Squirrel, uh, because they're more endangered than Herdwicks. And, oh, quite. And they are under threat. We do see them. I mean, we've got two cats and we had a dog until recently but still get them in the garden occasionally so I think it's have to be a squirrel Which is your favourite season of the year in the Lakeland? Oh gosh, that's, that's not easy because I love them all um, I think the spring probably when everything's starting to move and now we've got the crocuses coming through and won't be long before the daffodils come out so I think probably the spring Absolutely. Have you got a, a Cumbrian hero or heroine dead or alive? <laughs> well I think it's got to be Lord Burkitt hasn't it? You know, I I, yes, it, it, <laughs> yes, that's right. There are some famous names associated with this valley, but uh, that, that one's very focal at the moment. That, that back, Have you got a favourite pub? I think the pub in Dacre, uh, the Horse and Farrier, which when we lived there, we lived just next door to it. And um, it was very much a village pub. I used to go down with a jug of, fill up the beer when I was watching the rugby or something. It's now become a, a very nice gastro pub. So I think, yes, the, the Horse and Farrier in Dacre. Splendid spot. I believe the old spelling was decor. What's this? Not Dacre. It's decor. Yeah. Right the church and the castle. Yeah. Yes, yes. Lovely village. Very, very handsome very buildings. Nice Have you got a favourite Lakeland food? Not sure if it's Lakeland or not. Uh, Penrith fudge. Penrith, yes. Would that, oh, would that count? Oh, no, I'll tell you what. Also, um, Grassmere gingerbread. Yes, that's, I like that. You're in good company with that one. Um, if you have to take a favourite Lakeland book to a desert island, which book would you take? Oh, goodness. Uh, um, I think the collected works of Beatrix Potter. Either that or Arthur Ransom. I was great. I loved um, the Swallows and Amazons books yes. when I was young. Yes, or even, I mean, so many more, Rogue Harry's, the Harry's Chronicles. But I think the choice I'd take Beatrice Potter, probably. Yeah, well, we've got a ransom story coming up shortly, an episode, and uh, we've definitely got to get round to Beatrice Potter. I can't believe we haven't covered that one yet. Oh, gosh. Um, what would be your perfect lakes day? I think a nice summer's day, um, take the steamer from Poolie Bridge to Patterdale and walk back because uh, there's pub in Howtown, you can stop for refreshments on your way home, and then you come over, it's not a difficult walk, um, just a nice gentle walk back, um, back to Pooley Bridge. You've got it all here, haven't well, you? I can't. If heaven looked like somewhere, I think it would be here, wouldn't it? <laughs> Goodness me. If you were Prime Minister for the day, what one thing would you do to safeguard the landscapes of Cumbria and the Lake District? A bit controversial, but I was on the National Park Authority for four years, and I do think there should be some form of congestion charge or payment for visitors to the lakes. Um, 20 million visitors, if, if you've got a pound out of each one, the problem solved, because the National Park never has enough money. Businesses don't like it. But if you're in France, you pay a tax to séjour, it's a couple of euros, you don't, you don't miss it. It's almost a, a no-brainer to mm. somebody like myself. Mm. You see all these people... 
the business is only there because of all those people. Mm. Mm. Those people are pickling mm. what we're all coming to mm. see. Mm. And with modern technology, I mean, it works in London, as long as people knew it was going back into maintaining the lakes. Um, when the time comes and a few friends gather, where might your ashes or your remains find their resting place? Oh, well, I haven't thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd have to be back on the top of Hallin. Good I think man. that's, yeah. <laughs> so it is your mountain, it, it is, is your place, mountain, yes. and it's right at the heart of Oldswater. Well, you get the most wonderful view from there, don't you? Uh, you mm. do. It's unquestionably true. Yes. Well, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us. Well, well, thank you. Um, I've been privileged to be asked to join this. I finally enjoyed it, and it's nice to bring back memories, which some of them I've probably forgotten about, like saying, night-night, team-team. <laughs> Brilliant. journey's end and we're back beside the bridge in the car park much quieter now even for half term yes we're on our own we'll give a little bit of a shout out to the um the new bookshop in Poole Bridge, Mark. The door was closed, but we knocked and they opened and we had a little chat with Alveri inside. A real gentleman, and he's got a lovely setting there and a coffee shop, uh, but it's a proper bookshop. Very books, and it really... Very good. Very good. <laughs> oh, dear listeners, Dave is getting the habit from me. We should say about it because, I mean, I'm not a massive fan of Poole Bridge, personally. I do like it, but I'm not a massive fan. But if you add an independent bookshop to anywhere, it gets instantly better. And um, as people who sell books, we have a vested interest (laughs) in getting people to go to this particular bookshop uh, amongst all of the many other excellent ones that we already love in the uh, Lake District. Ah, yes, I enjoyed it. It was very good. I really appreciated that. But I also appreciated beating Miles McInnes. Yeah, great to have that depth of knowledge of this valley he absolutely loves it here what a great story about this fight that really well it was compromised in the end wasn't it manchester corporation got what they wanted but the lake was saved as Mm. well it's a rather lovely story yeah they sip water now as opposed to guzzling it well, it would have made a massive difference, just that however many feet it was. Was it three feet? Just three feet. But as soon as you put something, a feature like that in, you obviously get a tide line. Yeah, and, that's it, yeah. And after a while, it becomes six feet because, oh, we need a bit more. Well, and I think it's that unnatural shoreline, isn't it? You know, what's so lovely here is you've got these gorgeous shingle beaches all round, mm. which make it a very popular spot for swimming in particular. I love this valley and just to return to the point that this is a celebratory walk really for our Oldswater walking companion I had so many happy hours re-walking paths to test them for that walking guide and I I, I really do recommend it I I think it's um, a great collection of walks because this valley just has everything Mm. And uh, it became a, a kind of a new favourite of mine. Really. Yes, I, I loved it. And uh, at all levels, Oldswater wins. If you love being on the high fells, you've mm, got them here. You have, yeah. And if you love being in gentle, wooded pasture land, you've got that here. And you've got quiet places, an abundance of quiet places. Despite mm. the Oldswater way drawing the crowds, it actually draws people away from crowds. I call it the Queen of the Lakes because yeah. it is gracious. Picking up on two of Miles's walks, you asked him about favourite walks and he mentioned getting the steamer from here to Patterdale and walking back via Sanic. It is one of the absolute classic Lakeland walks, that, isn't it? Mm, 12 uh, miles or so. 12 miles. And then the other one, of course, is, well, we're looking at it now, over the top there to um, Askham. Brilliant fun, right? Go mm. over there, have a lovely pub meal go to the Askham Hall was running a little kind of pizza place and um, salads and stuff for a while mm. last year uh, anyway uh, some housekeeping Mark this is episode number 75 for all previous episodes it's www.countrystride.co.uk Uh, If you'd like to support us, you can do that in three ways. The easiest one is to share the podcast, let other people know about it. The more people who listen, 
the more we can invest in doing these. Uh, secondly, you can gift via Patreon. So if you go to our website, there's a little Patreon subscription button there, and you can gift as little as £2 a month, Mark. Mm. And the third way is by buying any of our books, um, which you can do via the website. So that's now the Threlkeld Walking Companion, Oldswater Walking Companion, and the Oldswater Way Official Guide, our growing uh, portfolio of books. With the, the uh, Ambleside Walking Companion underway, so that will be something for later on this year. Wow. Yet more work. <laughs> um, and I'm drawing uh, Ray Castle at the moment, and that's what I call drawing challenge. <laughs> what a building. There's a lot of bricks in Ray Castle. There is. Uh, we're on social media, Mark. Oh, yes, at Country Stride One, Facebook and Twitter. In terms of our next recording, we've had to postpone, in fact, because of terrible weather earlier in the week. Uh, and the fact, actually, that I, I thought I might have COVID, which I didn't. Um, but <laughs> we have a really fantastic podcast next. Oh, yes, we have. We've got Lee Schofield from the RSPB, Wild Horsewater, who's got a book coming out called Wild Fell. And I think it's going to be a very influential book. I've read Wild Fell. I managed to get an early copy through. It's absolutely brilliant. Personally, I can't wait. And actually, if we get nice weather... To be able to wander around some of the projects they've got going on there. Yeah, can't wait for that. So that's going to be the podcast after this one. Good stuff, Mark. Well, I think we're going to say goodbye from here, aren't we? It's um, all getting a little bit gloomy. Get to bed and get hunkered down because Storm Eunice is coming. Until next time, assuming we survive the storm, we're saying goodbye for now.